This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Today we continue our series of chats with members of the ABC Grandstand NRL team and today we'll chat with Corbin Middlemass. He may not be somebody who is new to radio like the other ones that we've spoken to in Matt Elliott, Dean Hallitow, Andrew Ryan and Ruan Sims, but very much an integral part of the team in terms of being our backup caller for Andrew Moore in our second Sydney team with Johnny Gibbs. So Corbin's a really interesting story, a voice very much familiar with ABC listeners, particularly in Perth where he grew up, but then in recent years in Brisbane and Sydney where he's moved to. Corbin is definitely somebody who has a huge future in sports broadcasting and someone who has a lot of runs on the board already when it comes to his chosen career. I really hope you enjoy today's chat with Corbin Middlemass. Corbin Middlemass, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thanks for having me, Ralphie. Now, you're at the end pretty much of your first year here in Sydney. Uh, how have you found it all? Yeah, different, I must admit. It's, uh, it's a long way from Perth and from the city where I grew up, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great place. I was, um, I've been very impressed and very livable city, so um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a big year. And it's your third state in three years, pretty much, um, with the ABC Grandstand team. Like, how have you found that kind of thing? And what, I guess, what are the main sort of differences from where you grew up in Perth, also then moving to Brisbane, and now, as we mentioned, on to Sydney? Yeah, it's been crazy. I actually, um, I lived in the same house when I grew up in in Perth in uh, in Yangebelt, which is like a southern suburb of uh, of Perth, and probably lived there for about the first 21, 22 years of my life. And then the last five years, I've lived in five different places. So the family home moved, and I went out to South Frio, and then I actually bought a place in uh, in East Perth. So I lived there, and then uh, off to Brisbane, and, and now Sydney. Um, so in the last three years, as you said, it's three different places, all with the ABC. Um, Brisbane was was a different challenge. Obviously, it was my first time that I'd um, moved moved away from my friends and family. I was pretty much there solo. I didn't know too many people at all um, when I rolled up other than some work colleagues and one or two mates. Um, I was living by myself, so that was a, a different experience as well after sort of living with um, my best mate previously in Perth. And uh, now that I'm, I'm here in Sydney, I've, I've linked up with uh, with a mate of mine from Perth as well, and uh, we're living together uh, along with uh, his girlfriend as well. So it's uh, nice to have a few extra people around home. So Brisbane was certainly a uh, a different experience on that front. Um, I found the uh, that was probably more a, a culture shock than anything. Sort of going from from Perth to Brisbane and the first time away from home, and then the trip from Brisbane to Sydney. Um, I was probably better prepared to come here and live in a big city, I think, having experienced, uh, having experienced Brisbane. Seems to be a bit of a Perth mafia wherever you go, like in terms of sports media and things like that, that they all sort of seem to come over here and try their luck, I guess, bigger markets in, in Sydney, Melbourne and, and Brisbane and more opportunities. Yeah, so many people ask me about that as to why, why it's the case as to so many broadcasters out of Perth. The, uh, particularly in the AFL world, I think there is a, a lot of coverage of the state league over there and the, the WAFL. Every game is still uh, broadcast on radio, so there are so many opportunities for for callers to get their opportunities. But even in other areas, as you said, you know, whether it's TV journalists or print journalists, um, often come over to to Sydney or Melbourne. It is such a it is such a fishbowl and such a small uh, small place. I hate that sort of expression that people refer to Perth as, but. 
Um, I think but given the distance and how far away you are from the rest of the country, I think there is often a, um, an interest from young kids, and I'm certainly one of those that, well, let's get over to the East Coast where we're a little bit closer to everything else and there's more going on and more events rather than um, just the same sort of predictable cycle, I think, that, that uh, happens in Perth each week. You sort of know what you're going to get, um, whereas on this side of the country there's uh, just a bit more happening and you're closer to other things. So if you, if you wanted to go to something in Melbourne or something in Brisbane or something in Adelaide, it's an hour, an hour and a half in the air, whereas from Perth, uh, particularly with the time zone as it is in this time of the year as well, it's it's it takes a whole day just about to travel there. You know, four hours in the air and lose three hours on the time difference. So um, it, it does make everything sort of a three day journey: one there, one away, and then one back. So um, that that has its advantages. Obviously, being on this side of the country. Now let's get in the the time machine and go back to where it all sort of started for you, broadcasting and and radio. Was that always on your radar, and more particularly, I guess, sport as well? Um, I think ever since I started to take my profession seriously, it's been on my radar. I think about what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Um, I was probably like most kids that yeah, at the age of 15 and below, I wanted to play Aussie rules footy or, or play cricket for Australia, and that was quite probably evident around the age probably earlier than what I thought it was, that that wasn't going to happen. But I remember my old man sort of came to me around the age of... 15 and said, oh, you really need to start thinking about what you want to do. And, and I was always in, always had an interest in broadcasting. Even when I was little and kicking the footy around the backyard, I'd always be commentating my own games or sort of really interested in the, the media side of things. Uh, and he was the one that probably pushed me into it a little bit where um, he knew that that was an interest of mine and sort of tried to get me to go and explore that. We had a, a family friend who was working at Racing Radio. He actually calls the, the Greyhounds now a, a guy by the name of Peter O'Neill. Uh, out of Perth and he's a very good broadcaster um, and my old man took me along to, to go and see him and sitting on the studio when he was hosting the races sort of one night out of uh, a studio in the northern suburbs of Perth uh, and from there that probably whet my appetite a little bit for radio and his advice was look just go to your community radio station see where that, that takes you and I was still at school I was probably I was year 10 or 11 at the time and so on Saturday, my old man drove me down to the local community, community radio station, which just happened to be Sport FM, and they specialised in sports broadcasting. Um, and as soon as I sort of walked in there, I, I met a guy by the name of Jason Dottillo, who was the uh, the station manager and turned out to be one of my, um, my great mates in life now. And um, that was sort of where it all started, I guess. And, and from there, I went back every Saturday and every Sunday while I was still at school in, in year 11 and 12 and would sort of try and... Um, yeah, just try and get the hours up, whether it was on air or hitting buttons behind the scenes and uh, and getting involved in as many broadcasts as I could. So are there many tapes of the early days of your, <laughs> your ventures into sports broadcasting, like at that community station that you mentioned? So there's um, there's not too many that I have. I have uh, I have my first call, I think, which my first one or two calls, um, John Lennon, who's actually the, the voice of the WACA ground, um, as the, the PA announcer there and, and he calls a, a bit of footy in Perth and he actually linked up one of my early tapes with the vision on the television so I still have that disc at home somewhere but there is one fateful night where I delivered um, I was involved sort of somehow got dragged into what was turned out to be some sort of a preview of the FA Cup and I was well out of my depth as you can imagine in the sport of soccer and uh, I was on with two other blokes at the time and the, the, the audio just went on and on and on it was this 40 minute long drawn out dribble about absolutely nothing and um, that wasn't one of my finest moments and I sound very young uh, on air at that particular stage. I probably was only 16 but um, a, a couple of my close mates in, in Brett Sprigg and Ben Cameron, uh, they both 
uh, ended up going to the, the same community station after I was there and they've come across the tape numerous times. So it, uh, I know it's still doing the rounds on the system somewhere. What do you learn from that first foray into radio? I mean, with community stations, you're pretty much left to your own devices. So it's about developing your own, I guess, style and, and coming up with a way of just developing everything. So it's your, your voice, it's your presentation, it's the whole box and dice. But generally not a lot of people there that will give you honest appraisal of or feedback of, of how you're going. Yeah. I, I probably didn't even really get that until I got to the ABC and I was lucky enough that I started with the ABC when I was 19. But from that point forward, I was almost just guessing trying to do what I thought was right. And so I just from... Um, sort of listening to other people's commentary and and trying to sort of come up with my own style and my own way of doing things. And I'm sure if you listen to um, my tapes when I finished at Sport FM compared to sort of the way I'm broadcasting now, I, I would listen back to my own work and say there's 25 things wrong that I shouldn't have been doing. And um, I was lucky enough that given the way that the, the boxes are located and they're the same at just about every ground that you go to where you have access to other people in other uh, other stations, and so even though I was calling the cricket for Sport FM at that time, I'd, I'd often sort of wander down to the ABC box and have a chat to, to Clint Wilden and, and Glenn Mitchell, who were with the ABC um, at that time. And um, Glenn luckily showed a lot of, or as did Clint, but they both showed a lot of interest in me at a young age and sort of could see that I was very keen and I was obviously young at the time and had a fair bit to learn. And they took me under their wing a little bit. And, and Glenn used to get me into the ABC studios on a Wednesday Um Probably once a fortnight, which was which was really good during footy or cricket season, and I'd load up my tapes and have a listen to it in the uh, the ABC studio with Glenn, and and he was a he was a brilliant teacher. He probably taught me a lot of the basics of what I needed to know about radio, um, and radio and sports broadcasting as to to how to do it. And it was really a matter of stripping back everything that I'd done so far and start small and and branch out. Um, and so that was that was probably the. He was the, he was the main guy that was giving me the guidance. I think as I as I went through as to what to focus on. So I guess you kind of didn't have a, a problem with going and asking for help or asking for advice and all of that sort of things. Yeah. Whereas I kind of think a whole lot of young people these days come in and think they know it all, and these people there that are um, offering up their advice, they don't tend to take it on. Whereas you yeah. seem to be a bit of a, a sponge and, and wanted yeah. to absorb it all and also just really, uh, I guess, focus on, on, on getting better, which is often the, the, the best way, like being able to cop those early knocks and, and criticisms. Yeah. yeah, I remember doing a game, uh, a basketball game with Clint in the early days and I got Glenn to listen back to the, um, the call and it was the one time that I'd actually thought, Probably early on at the ABC within my first few weeks, and I thought, oh, I've, I've nailed this. I've done a really good job calling the basketball the weekend, and I was excited to go in and play the tape to Glenn. And within about the first two and a half minutes of the broadcast, he'd picked out about five to ten things that I needed to improve on. And I sort, it sort of stumped me a little bit where I thought, wow, I, th- I thought I was sort of further advanced than that. Um, and I think it's all about how you respond in those moments. Like if you, if you sort of crack the shits and walk away and think, oh, well, you know, what would he know? Why is he sort of giving me that sort of feedback? Um, or if you, you take it on board and, and want to get better. And I remember Tim Lane told me re- very early on when I, I had a chat to him about these things is, you know, you sort of pick and choose the bits that you think is going to help mold you into a better broadcaster, but sort of take, listen and make sure you take as much advice from as many people as you can. And, um, everything that Glenn said was 100% spot on and you sort of go away and lick your wounds and come back and try and do a better job. But, 
at the end of the day, that that's going to make me a better broadcaster. It's not going to be some bloke patting me on the back, telling me how well we're going, um, or what a great job you've done. It, you sort of want that constructive criticism to be to be the the better caller that you can be. And um, I even find now this year has been a, another huge learning experience for me with um, with obviously doing more and more of the rugby league, where I've called sort of 15, 20 games this year for the first time. Um, I'm lucky enough to share an office with Andrew Moore, who um, is one of the best exponents of it. So the only way you're ever going to get better on these things is if you continually get get feedback. And if you're honest with yourself, I think that's the other thing. Listen to your own work and um, you'll pick up just about more than anyone else will or as early as anyone else will the bits that you don't like about it. It sounds as though that station in Perth, and I'm, I am aware of it, but were sort of unfamiliar with the depth of, of coverage that you sort of did, that it's very rare for a community station to embrace sport in, in such a way. So that was obviously something that you could just get those flying hours up until you come under the, the, the notice of, of people at the ABC. So it's not something that's common here on the, the, the East Coast. So I guess you owe a lot of credit to the, starting in that, that particular area, knowing that you could practice something that you wanted to do in, in a paid capacity. Yeah, it's, it's very unusual to have that sort of setup. Um, as you said, with community stations. Anywhere. And to actually go out to the actual events 100%. and having broadcast facilities available that, yeah. that you could use. It was phenomenal. And so in my time there, we did uh, we did the Hopman Cup tennis. What else did we do? We did uh, NBL basketball. There was uh, WAFL football each week. We did Sheffield Shield cricket home and away games. So they, they travelled around the country and I was lucky enough to do that for two years where you'd, you'd fly to five different states to call you know, a day's long or four days of Sheffield Shield wow. cricket. Um, we did T20 cricket, one-day cricket. We did grade cricket on the weekend. So um, that was something that was probably a little bit of a shock to me that when I came to the ABC, they probably did less cricket than they ever had previously. And I, I did more than I um, more than previously than I did with the ABC, obviously, but having that experience at Sport FM. So Colin Minson is the guy that's sort of right behind that, and, and he was sort of my boss when I was there and is still involved and still calling the cricket and, and running the place, and, and he deserves a lot of credit for the amount of time and effort that he's put into that over the years. Um, and the guy that I touched on earlier, Jason Battillo, who was um, the station manager when I got there, and I was very blessed that uh, he was there my entire time, and, and he left sort of not long after I did. Um, but but he was a um, a great guy to have at the station to be able to sort of put everything together and one of those guys behind the scenes that I think every station really needs um, and he's developed into yeah sort of um, uh, it's, or it's as a result our friendships really developed and and we're still mates nowadays but uh, he's someone that doesn't like to take a lot of credit for anything that happens around the place and always loves to take sort of uh, the, the the back seat on those things but certainly in my career I, I owe an enormous amount to him I also guess the the point that. You mentioned earlier the fact that you were able to sort of get on there and, and do that gets you talking all the time. So, you know, if yep. something goes wrong, you just have to keep talking. So <laughs> part of that is also developing that skill. Not only things were to fall apart and something happens that you're able to sort of keep it together and all of those great skills that people learn as, as broadcasters yep. because there is a lot of time involved in sport because, you know, the games are a, yep. a set length and in cricket, days at a time. So being able to have that skill to be able to, I guess, entertain but then also be able to keep things moving along must have been something that you you learnt pretty quickly in the early days. Yeah, 100%. And that's just trial and error. I mean, there's so many times where you get um, embarrassed in those moments and I'm sure it's it still happens now with certain broadcasts, but it is something that allows you the opportunity to 
to just get, as you said earlier, get the flying hours up and um, and understand it, it, how to better handle those moments when they come along, whether that's in-studio stuff, as you said, whether it's at the venue, they're all very different types of broadcasting. It's not sort of one capsule that if you sit in a studio and read something off a script is completely different to trying to describe live moving sport to doing a show on location to hosting a breakfast program to um, reading sponsors advertisements um, all those things and there's so many different aspects of broadcasting that it's covered really under that one banner and that one station so when you walked in the door the first time at the abc there in perth did you feel like you were ready or did you feel like what were what was going through your mind at that particular stage yeah a hundred percent i didn't feel like i was ready (laughs) i sort of i was uh, I think the first time I did something there, I would have been, uh, might have even been 18. And uh, by the time I got there as on like a full-time capacity or, or to sort of work there full-time, I was, I was 19. Uh, and I remember doing a, a boundary riding gig quite early. And I was, I was doing some boundary riding spots uh, before I'd sort of gone there full-time. And I remember sitting on the boundary line one night, must have been a Friday night game. And I think Essendon were playing, who were my team. And um, I was, I was shaking during my first cross. And I, I, remember sort of eventually spitting the words out and I was sort of sitting there so nervous and I think Tanya Armstrong who was sitting next to me doing of the industry for 20 odd years or whatever and I'd grown up watching Tanya on on TV and, and very broadcast and she was so relaxed and um, very friendly to me and I was sitting there shaking I thought I, I'm not going to be able to do this like what happens if I just I can never get past his nerves and I'm, I'm always going to be this way whenever I go and speak on the ABC because I was thinking about how many people were listening and where I am when I'm listening to the ABC broadcast. And if, if your mind's in that sort of space, you're, you're nowhere. Like, mm. you're absolutely shot. And it probably took me about two or three goes to actually realise, to try and get out of that and just focus on what I'm doing and, and try to do it to the, the, the best of my ability. But, uh, again, that that takes time too. And luckily, I was able to, to shake that off at some point. But, yeah, there were certainly moments when I first got there where I thought, is this how I'm going to be forever now? Am I ever going to be able to... Um, to actually step up and be able to work at um, at an organisation like this, or is is it is it all going to fall apart? And um, I'm sort of going to end up back where I started. I, I kind of thought I got there very quickly, where I, I was sort of building towards that at Sport FM, and I was happy enough to sort of stay at that station for a little bit longer and, and keep doing what I was doing. And um, but but luckily, when sort of Glenn rang me and, and asked me to come along, and uh, and initially it was only for a six month contract. It was it come for six months and see how you go. Um, I obviously wasn't going to turn that down. You mentioned Glenn there and you mentioned Clint Wilden a little bit earlier. He sort of did you in reverse, grew up here in Sydney and yep. then moved to, to Perth to like a, an unfamiliar sort of territory. Glenn, as you mentioned, just a, a wealth of knowledge as a, as a broadcaster, well respected in the, the industry, covered numerous cricket tours, Olympic games, all of those things. Just a, one of those really familiar voices on the ABC that you just get used to, to hearing. What was it like when you started working alongside somebody who has that, I guess they have a, like all these people do, they have like a presence and a way about them. What yeah. was that like for you? Yeah, it was, it was great. He was really good with me early. Um, and when I say early, I, I probably only worked with him from February till May, I think it was, probably till the end of May. And then he resigned not long after that. But um, as I said, he taught me sort of just about, everything that I knew, the basic principles of broadcasting, which sort of still hold me in good stead and, and I try to pass them on to, to anyone that sort of asks me for advice about sort of just trying to describe uh, live moving sport and the um, the basics that you should follow. But we had a we had a lot of fun in the office. He's sort of a, a very similar sort of character um, to I, I am. We have a very similar sense of humour. Um, so, yeah, the, the times that uh, we sort of got there, he, 
he sort of took me under his wing a little bit, I think, and um, and was really invested in making sure that I could become the best broadcaster that that I could be. Um, and Clint Wildon was was exactly the same. Where I think he was the one that initially put my name forward to Glenn and um, suggested that uh, sort of I was on the radar and I was doing these things, and I'd, I'd come and spoken to him. So um, yeah, but both of them uh, are obviously yeah hugely or been a huge help in in my career and. It was a it was a little bit odd where Glenn was obviously in particular was someone that I grew up listening to being a Perth boy and um, and growing up listening to ABC Radio whether it's sort of the national coverage of the cricket or, or stuff locally he was he was always a familiar voice I heard when I uh, when I flicked on seven twenty. The other thing is that when you walked in the door you were quite young. Now there's not a lot of people that sort of get the opportunities I guess that you were given early doors to sort of have a crack and, and, and have a go at, at things because people kind of view that it takes some time to sort of build up those skills and, and, and get them going. And also the fact that, you know, if you think about it around the country, there's not many people in those jobs um, to do those things. So uh, I guess you were fortunate in some ways, like you say, that uh, local radio would, would often cover local football and local cricket and things like that, whereas here on the East Coast, yeah. not so much. So people that are looking to get that opportunity, it may take them like some time or they may get it through another path. So getting a, a job um, at a radio station, working in the newsroom or, or something like that, and then pushing their cause towards going down yeah. the, the broadcasting path or hosting path. Yeah, I was ex- extremely fortunate um, to, to be in at the age that I am and even – even now I'm 26 and sort of I look around the, the office or the industry and there's, there's very few people my age now and I've been doing it for seven years. So um, I was very blessed to have had that opportunity at, at such a young age. And I, I think if I didn't have those hours actually calling sort of live moving sport at community radio and being able to do that sort of when I was still at school, there's certainly no way that I'd be in the opportunity or had the opportunities that I have had now. Um, and just through circumstance, I think really where I was, I was almost in the right place at the right time and, um, and obviously, the, the way that Glenn departed the ABC was um, it was a pretty pretty heavy time for all of us um, that were that were there. And and I guess the sort of the knock on from that was I, I probably got way more opportunities before my time. I, firstly, to even be in a sort of in a junior role in that sort of department at nineteen was huge. And then halfway through the year to sort of be asked to step up and call um, yeah AFL footy each week. And uh, and I was doing sports talk sort of not long before that and, and hosting sort of uh, a, a talkback-based program which goes around the state at the age of 20. Um, there were certainly times where I thought, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly uh, – I, I don't have the runs on the board to be doing this. So it was certainly overwhelming at times that um, I was in these positions really before I thought I was ever going to be there. Um, and then obviously just trying to have to do the best job that I can do on the run. I, I can't sort of – I can try and go back and learn as much as I can as I'm going. But obviously I'm going to have blind spots for things along the way. But just due to the fact that I haven't lived through as many moments as, as probably what even our listeners have and people that are contributing to the show. So um, I always found that a little overwhelming where you're sort of on air talking to guys and uh, talking to guys that, that played before I was born and stuff where you're trying to sort of recount their career or, or things that they've been through to, to try and get them to contribute to debates. Take me through that side of things, even with the listeners as well, conducting a, a talkback program, like you say, yeah. uh, trying to keep up with their recollection of, of great moments or things that they remember or comparing rule changes in different eras. That must have been a real sort of steep learning curve for you to sort of think, wow, I've got to have these 
intelligent conversations with these people that are so much older than me and are so much more experienced, even in the, the case yeah. of a, a, a listener. Yeah, I was very lucky with the people I worked with. So the, the guys, I think, always had an understanding of that. I, um, I had a, a really close friendship with Ken Judge, who was sort of the main guy on, uh, on our sports talk program, and really the show was about Judgey. Um, and so he carried a lot of that, and really it was sort of left to me just to try and steer in the in the right direction. And he would often help me out and sort of give me background off air on certain things that were happening, or um, give me a bit of a a rundown on things that had happened previously. And I was I'm, I'm also a little bit of a history buff anyway, where like I, I it, it does interest me. So I sort of ask a lot of these guys questions sort of off air if I know that we're having a conversation coming up, or we'll, we'll try to look back through their own records. Um, to try and find different instances that, say, might match what's happening in the, the current day to give it some sort of historical context. Uh, Kim Hughes was the same. So we had Kim Hughes during the summer months, and and he's such that character that, um, again, the show was about him. So it's not so much needing me to, uh, to to give an awful lot of opinions the same way that, say, someone like uh, Glenn Mitchell would have done or George Grilicic before him or Dennis Kometty before him because they were uh, these great characters and great broadcasters that sort of had their own standing in the community and because of the, the years that they'd done and... Uh, and the wealth of knowledge they had, uh, I think at that stage I was lucky that because I was with those big personalities that I could deflect a lot of things um, onto them and and they were both uh, sort of had the, the media now to be able to, to pick it up and cover for me in, in those instances where, um, where I was caught out a little bit because of my background. I think if you're a sports broadcaster or if you're a general sort of broadcaster, you generally have a, a grip on history anyway. So you you're interested in cricket, so if you're often watching it, like cricket is a game of statistics, so you'll see all of the things that achievements of players gone past will appear up on the screen. And then if you watch three or four days of test cricket, you can sort of build that base of knowledge anyway because it's generally repeated the next test and then the test after that and the test after that. And it's the same with AFL football and NRL and things like that. People that were good at the game, have this legendary status about them because of their feats and then you learn about their feats. So yeah. it's one of these things that, you know, you probably would have come in with more than probably what you thought you knew. It's just having yeah. these conversations about specific moments that yeah. may sort of be behind the times, but it doesn't take long to pick that stuff up. Yeah, and it's sort of you you end up studying that character so closely that, you sort of, yeah, like by, I think by the end of this, his career and the, the times and the beers that I shared with Judgey, I knew just about every teammate that he played with and every game that he played in. But um, yeah, you do pick them up a, along the way. But I think that's a huge part of it is just the relationships too that you form um, during those times. And and as I said, I was very lucky to, to work with the people that I did and the, the characters that we had. I think Terry Alderman was, has obviously been doing cricket for a long time at the ABC and I worked with him a lot sort of doing updates at the Wacker. And, and cricket is that sort of game where there's so much downtime where you you end up sitting there in the box and just having those conversations with uh, with the guys that you work with, and um, that that's the part of it I think that is that makes our job so special is that you get to sit there and have a conversation about cricket with guys like Terry Alderman and Kim Hughes and Wayne Clark and, and blokes that have played at the absolute highest level and the same sort of conversations that you'd have with your mates around a barbecue during summer. Was that a moment that you ever sort of pinched yourself and thought, "I'm yeah. just." This bloke here, just this Neville, just talking to these absolute like legends of, of WA cricket and Australian cricket, and and I guess same with AFL as well. Like, is it ever sort of you sit there and you have that pinch me moment where you just think, how cool is this? It is such a weird industry where you get so caught up in what you're doing day to day that you, you we don't have as many of those moments as you you should. Um, and it, I'm so I'd I'd like to think I'm someone that. Um, 
sort of still has very perspective on sort of what I'm doing in life and you know we're not ambulance officers we're not saving lives it's we're very blessed to do the job that we're doing and um where and it's it's the best job in the world. I mean, it should be it should always be fun and always be enjoyable what we're doing. And so often you get caught up in the day to day aspects of every other job and the the politics and the office and whatever else is happening. Um, but you you always need to remind yourself that hang on, this is pretty cool. And and I get that feeling every time you walk into a stadium or walk into a box and get to call a game. And and particularly the last two or three years, where as you said, I've lived in three different cities. There are a lot of new experiences for me. There's NRL grounds I haven't been to previously. I rolled up and caught a game at Leichhardt this year, and I thought, Gee, "What a great a, venue!" Yeah, like a, a kid that's uh, a kid that's sort of from from Yanjibup in in Perth. Like, why did I? How the hell did I end up here calling a game between the West Tigers and um, whoever they were playing in the, the last or well, New Zealand Warriors in the last round of the season? And so, sort of, there are a lot of those moments where I think, "Wow, this is this is pretty cool." Even um, a couple of weekends ago, Andrew Moore and I went down to Bathurst and um, did the the V eights, obviously for the the Bathurst one thousand. And I thought that's something I never ever dreamed of doing or thought I'd ever be at. Um, but just through circumstances, sort of found myself here. And a lot of those moments are really cool, where you think, "Wow, like if I wasn't doing this job, I wouldn't have had this." experience is probably not something I'd have on my bucket list and think, oh, I really need to do that one day. Um, but I got the opportunity to go and do it because of the position that I'm in, and it's a it's a really cool, um, yeah, it's a really cool thing to be able to to have those experiences. And when you were very young, you also, I guess, picked up an an award for your first season yeah. that you, you did. What was that like? Just being recognised by the AFL media as such to to get something so early in your career? Yeah, that was. That was a really weird night. So I, um, that was my first season, and we it had been with Glenn leaving and um, sort of the circumstances around that. It had been a pretty full on heavy year, um, and as a as a teenager, sort of walking into a, a new organisation like that, we we probably had um, more than your ordinary sort of year with everything that had gone on. And I think late in the season, I must have gone to Melbourne and caught a game with Jared, and that was the first. A sort of experience I'd had to call away from home and it was a game at the Docklands and um, that was kind of cool because I'd never done that previously and to sort of call Aussie rules away from home and that's, it all sort of sunk in and felt very real. But towards the end of the season, I remember getting a call from Susie Robinson, who was our um, AFL producer at the time, and she said, look, we're going to fly you to Melbourne for the preliminary finals and we want you to see what it's like to be around the, the team and uh, you won't be calling or having any on-air role, but obviously you'll just be sort of taking it all in and seeing how it all works. I thought, oh, it's just fantastic what a way to round out the year i'm so lucky to have done everything i've done so far and she said oh look just bring a suit there is a function on the wednesday night and we've got a table so you can come along and see how that all works had no idea it was an awards night didn't know what the function was didn't know i was nominated um and so that they basically everyone at the abc had organized this behind my my back and entered me for this award and, and sure enough i ended up winning it and so i sat down at this table and dan lonigan was there at the time and um Oh, Drew, the late great Drew Morford obviously called uh, called me first and said, "Mate, come meet me at the Hilton. We'll have a beer beforehand. We'll walk into this function." So I've walked in with Drew, and he's introduced me to everyone. It's the sort of character that he is, and he's kissing everyone on the lips on the way through, and the usual sort of uh, carry usual on sort of gar- character that uh, that Drew can be. And uh, so I'm sort of I think, wow, how weird is this? I'm at the MCG at this function. Everyone who's the who's who in the media and guys that I've grown up sort of watching um, as a kid are in this venue. And so I've sat down at the table and Dan Lonigan's there and he said, oh, mate, have you got sort of your speech and everything ready to go? I said, what are you talking about, mate? And he goes, oh, like there's an award. Don't you know that you, you, you're going to win the award and stuff? That's like, why are you here? So he told me probably about 25 minutes before the award was announced. And then the whole time I remember just sitting there like in complete sweat. I was almost like, um, frozen, didn't know what to do. And sure enough, Dennis Cometti gets up there along with Mike Sheen and reads out 
um, everything that I've done in the year. Basically, a full rundown. And I thought, right. how does Dennis Committee even know who I am, let alone sort of have this full rundown and everything that's happened in my career? And calls me on stage and Caroline Wilson was there and she leant forward and sort of congratulated me from the stage and Mike's there shaking my hand. I thought, wow, these are all characters of the media and people that I've grown up watching since I was five or six years old and all of a sudden I've got to make a speech in front of this, uh, this room full of people. So that was one of the weirdest um, sort of unusual nights, I think, from nothing that completely unaware that I was even going to an awards night to all of a sudden being on the stage within about the period of 40 minutes. Um, so, yeah, that was that was very unusual at, at 20 to have gone through all that. What was that like, delivering that speech in front of those um, <laughs> gathered people that, like, you would have been, like you said, a, a room of people that you respected and admired yeah. and then all of a sudden you were turned up here and you had to deliver a speech. Do you remember it? Uh I tried to think I thanked a few people, but um, I remember I, I remember I thanked um, Glenn Mitchell for for the work that he'd done for me. And part of the speech was that Glenn had obviously resigned from the ABC, and and I'd got the opportunity to call more footy and stuff. And so I think people in the room took it as if I was thanking Glenn for leaving for giving me more opportunities. <laughs> so every I remember everybody laughed, and then I sort of backpedaled over and said, "No, no, no! Like I'm I'm serious and stuff. Like I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for everything, talking yeah, stuff." Yeah. And everyone laughed again. And I thought, oh, just forget it. I was like, let's move just, on to the next roll point with and stuff. And so I was sort of and, – um, and I was probably even – I was a little more um, shy than I am now and stuff. So I was sort of – I was a little bit um, a little bit taken aback by the whole thing and then sort of just tried to get off the stage as quickly as I could. But I, I, I don't remember a lot more of the speech other than that. It sort of all went, all went very quickly. Something like that is something that the AFL does really well in terms of, I guess, not only – the recognition of milestones of players, but also of media. Um, it's not something that the NRL is particularly good at. Is that something that that whole culture thing at the AFL, is that something that, I guess, draws people to it? Or how do you feel in, yeah. in, in that situation? Um, it was a really cool night for me as someone who's yeah, um, 20 or whatever to have gone through that and and, and it does feel a little it bit... It was like a media rising star award. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So you kind of feel a little bit like... Um, it does feel like a very welcoming thing into the industry, but I think every organisation has healthy respect for each other in the in the AFL. Um, that it's you still sort of knock shoulders with other people in the corridors, and, and everyone sort of chats, and you see each other from time to time. So there is that, I think, healthy respect and um, and sort of friendship between the, the two stations, and a lot of people sort of cross over, and you, you know everyone from every other network. So um, that, they do do that well. I, th- I think the awards. Um, that 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 award in particular is is something they do really well. And some of the the past winners and the guys that have won it, even um, since I have, have sort of gone on to do some really great things in the in the media. Um, but I, I find awards are sort of they they are what they are. I think when you win, they're fantastic, and the judges have got it spot on. And when you don't win, they've they've made a mistake, and it's um, it's all rigged. So that I, I think they. I think it's fantastic to win. It's it's really nice to be judged by your peers in that way. But um, I think it's also you can get stuck and caught into this uh, sort of this this riptide somewhat if you if you're continuing trying to compete and chase awards year on year. So I, I think I was very lucky that I won a few awards when I was younger, and then I went a bunch of years and didn't win any awards and stuff. So you sort of I think when you're younger, you sort of find yourself sort of always trying to keep track on on who wins what and and where you sit in the overall picture of things. Um, but it's, I think the 
sort of they are, you, you take them for what they're worth. I guess it's also good from a, a point of view is, like you said, you see everybody there, you're able to sort of rub shoulders with them, have conversations with different people. How much of that was important for your broadcasting as well to actually talk to older people? Because like yeah. you said, you entered the, the game quite young. So developing these relationships with, with older people is, is key to what a good broadcaster can be and having that with a co-commentator or having that with yeah. someone that you're going to talk to on a regular basis on a sports show? Yeah, 100%. I, I, um, I remember vividly Jared said to me that night, and I think he did 360, and so he sort of came afterwards. Um, make sure you, you sort of you go around to the room and you, you chat to as many people as you can. Like everyone knows who you are. You've just been on stage. You've won the award. You're fresh in everyone's mind. Take that as an opportunity basically to, to go and introduce yourself to people and, and get to know as many people as you can in the industry. And I thought... Well, great advice. And I tried to do that as, as much as I could that night and sort of get around and, and say hello to as many people as I could um, and introduce myself to... Without being too gushing, I guess. Yeah, it's, like... it's just sort of... Um, and, yeah, just basically introduce myself to sort of... Um, yeah, to, to try and say hello to as many people. And, and these are all people that I knew, but obviously none of them really knew me other than the the guy who made the weird speech on the stage at the start of the night. So I was sort of... Um, in, in that sense, I was... I I thought that was that was yeah really good advice and a, a chance to try and go and meet as as many people as I can and um, just so then when I I come across them in the future that yeah that there's someone that's sort of known to them and uh, and I'm around. What sort of advice do you get from somebody like Jared Waitley on calling games of AFL football because he's a guy that's obviously built up this reputation over a, a great number of years as a, an accomplished broadcaster. What do you get from somebody like him? A, a lot of different things. I get it. Um, I guess it depends. Uh, how, can, how should I best answer this? He's 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 probably been the last couple of years probably been the, just about the only guy that's given me a lot of regular feedback on my commentary and stuff. So I've worked with him really closely probably over the past three or four years now, um, and I feel like he'll he'll always give me honest feedback if sort of you you go and chase it and um, and look for it, and uh, he always sort of I'll know that he'll always. Um, He's always trying to help my career as much as he can. So it's, it's one of those things where, as we probably touched on, on earlier, like I've never been someone that's been worried to, to ask for feedback or, or get any blunt criticism when it comes my way either. Um, I probably learn better in those moments, I think, than I would if, if someone tries to sort of disguise it. I'm only ever looking for, not so much the negative, but I'm only looking for the, well, what's the bit that I can improve on? Don't worry about telling me all the things that I'm, I'm doing the well. The good stuff, yeah, yeah. I'd rather hear, right, what needs to change? Why am I doing that differently? How can I go about it? And I remember Jared sort of said to me probably, it was probably three or four years ago now, about uh, the amount of stats that I put into my uh, commentary. And it got to a point where it was just getting ridiculous. And it was like, I know I'm someone that always I always prepare as much as I can and chase as many stats and figures and numbers, but it got to the point where I was I was trying to use them at places where they just shouldn't be used in the commentary. And so um, G was always very much like, mate, it's actually detracting from your commentary that don't you don't need to mention as many stats and figures and everything in every single every time someone takes a mark and goes back to the back. So you know Tucker takes a mark, rolls into the back pocket or whatever, about to take his kick. He's played 18 games this year and kicked so many goals or whatever. And so. Who cares? Like, it's just irrelevant sort of information chucked in the middle of nowhere. And that was something that it actually took me a little while to break that habit. Uh, and I feel like now I'm sort of giving less and less of that information. But um, he's a really good ear to be able to, to pick certain stuff up in your commentary and always does it in a way that is uh, – it's sort of 
this is this is what I think of it. You sort of do whatever you want to do, sort of thing. Like constructive without being overbearing. Yeah, and he and I remember him saying to me at the time that, mate, this is just my observation. If you want to sort of go down that path and, and be that sort of commentator, sort of do your thing. Um, it's sort of, but I, I think you would be sort of much better served, um, just sort of limiting that a little bit. Did you feel as though in the preparation that you were doing? that you had to get in all of the prep? Was that the sort of mindset behind it? Because I know what a lot of you guys do, and people outside the industry don't understand that at the end of the day, it still is a job, and you have to research and research and research and put so much time into um, the prep and the homework and and doing everything so that on game day, it comes out like it's a, a knowledgeable Broadcast because the last thing you want, you don't want, you know, Joe Bloggs from down the street taking a pot shot at you on Twitter because you've stuffed up a stat. So there's got to be, I guess, that element of preparation, but without being over the top. And I I guess someone like a like a Bruce McAvaney is a a great example. He he might have pages and upon pages of stuff to refer to, but might only refer to a third of those things. Is that sort of where you were at with it all? I think I, I I did a lot of prep. But I think I just thought it was interesting. So I think I, um, like if I had some background and um, it turns out that some player's um, sister played for the Australian Opals at the recent Olympics or whatever, I was like, oh, I need to get that information in because that's, that's an interesting stat and I'll chuck that in wherever I could. Where if the bloke was lining up to say kick, kick a goal, which was going to put his team ahead in the third quarter and there's been a huge momentum swing in the game, who cares who his sister is who plays with the Opals or whatever? Like, and I just I couldn't. It's picking your moments. Yeah, I just couldn't quite. I like, couldn't quite get it initially that it was like, mate, that's so irrelevant to the, the story of the game right now as to what's happening. And the average listener that's on the street, um, they want to follow the game. They're listening because they're, they're worried about what happens in the two hours from when the siren starts at the end till when the siren goes at the end, or the ball bounce at the start to when the siren goes at the end of the game. Um, they're interested there. That's that's the story. That's what we're trying to tell. Who cares what you've looked up on the computer and sort of learnt during the week? Like all that sort of stuff is important to like and and helpful to sort of get an understanding and background of the player, but um, not at the expense of actually telling the story of the game. But that that's our main job, and that was the part I think that I was a little slow to pick up um, on the way through, and something that Jared really helped me with um, really over the past couple of years, and it's something I think that I'm still um, just trying to to gather, and particularly in sports like rugby league now, where. It doesn't come naturally to me as much as other sports do to sort of have to realise that, right, this is a key moment in the game. This is where I need to switch on. This is what should be emphasised. And all this is just sort of rubbish that's happening in the background and isn't as important where it's sort of time to go to the expert and um, sort of get his analysis here or we can work in other stuff at these particular times. And just being able to pick that, um, that's a big moment and that's really important, which is something which obviously comes more naturally to me in, in cricket and Aussie rules and basketball and sports that I've grown up on. Do you have a favourite expert that you've worked with over the years? Yeah. Um, probably Ken Judge, uh, just because of our relationship outside of outside of work. Um, and I think a lot of that came across on air. We did sports talk together. We called the footy together. We called TV footy together before that. Uh, and when I was living at South Maryland, he was living in, in North Frio. Um, we would spend an awful lot of time together every weekend and he took a lot of interest in me and, and Ben Cameron, who's my best mate. Um, and we had countless times sort of catching up with him and sitting on his balcony and having a few beers and just talking about uh, the industry and his coaching experience and his playing experience. And, and I was in a really unusual position where I only – I only knew Judgy when he was when he was terminally ill, so I always knew that at some point, obviously, he was going to pass. And, and given that he was he was battling his uh, multiple myeloma at the time, um, 
it was really weird that I, I was always I grew closer and closer with him every day and I knew that at, at some point I was never going to know him as well as I did until the, the moment that he passed um, and that was that was really hard and I think it it's still really hard for um, for us and, and for Judgy was the sort of guy that he he sort of had a very close group of friends and uh, he had a big group of friends but he sort of he asked I think I remember someone sort of saying at his funeral that he asked a lot of his friends but expected a lot back and that was the sort of guy that he was he was like incredibly loyal to his to his inner circle um, and, and I was lucky enough for whatever reason to be in it and that he sort of took an interest in me and um, and I think that the time that it matched up for me to go to Brisbane was the same time that the footy season was coming around again and that would have been the first year without Judgy he passed in January, um, and I think had I stayed, that would have been a lot tougher to actually roll into the studio every Saturday and present Sports Talk without him and go to Subiaco and call the footy and judge he's not there in the corner. And so I, uh, I don't know if it was so much running away from it, but I was. It was just the timing that matched up that I, I didn't have to go back and and do all that without him. So um, yeah, that was a. I think about him a lot even now. Would have been a difficult time for you as well in terms of just you being on the rise and him sort of being at the, the back end of his career and his, his life, what was that like to, to deal with from a, I guess, from a personal sense and a professional sense? Yeah, it was, um, he gave me a, a lot of advice. And um, the, the night that I, um, his, she'll, she'll sort of hate me saying widow, but his, his wife, um, Annette, came to my going away drinks and, and I sort of wasn't, ex- wasn't overly expecting her to go. And it sort of, as I said, it was only a couple of months after Judgy passed, and um, I remember her saying to me that night that oh, Judgy would have been, you know, really proud and really, you know, would have wanted you to go and everything. And that meant a lot to me at the time. That it was sort of something that, as I said, I wasn't sort of expecting that night, but it's always sort of stuck with me. And and he was a, he was always pressing my case and my career, and always wanted me to to be the best that I could, and and just do things that would always. Um, would, would always help me further. Like whether it was he was good mates with Mike Sheen. I remember one day sort of in, when we were in Melbourne, we sort of went around to Mike's house and he sort of gave me advice on my career and he, he would always be doing everything he could just to try and um, think, oh, this will help Corbin in this situation. So I'll give him a ring and bring him along to to this function because he might meet some people here. And it was always a big a big one in that sense that uh, to, to sort of look after your relationships and, and sort of look after people and, uh, and sort of people that were in, were in his circle that he would do as much to try and bring them together to to, uh, to help one another. So having a mentor as such like that, to who would always be looking for your best interest, that sort of changed the way that you sort of approach things things as well. Like yeah. in terms of your life and, and different things I, that you do. Yeah, I think we're we're probably similar characters in a way. Where I'd, I'd probably consider myself like that. I think if people met me. From the outside and didn't know me, they'll probably think I'm a little bit prickly, which is, uh, I guess, some, what some people said about Judgy. And and yet, I feel like if sort of you're one of my mates, I'd like you sort of you're one of my crew. Um, so I'm sort of very, very much similar. Where I, I have a close group of friends, and um, I don't consider sort of everyone my friend, but I feel like the the people that are um, sort of close, I, I talk to very regularly. Um, and, and sort of, and sort of keep up to date with their lives and what everyone's up to. I still have sort of the same five or six mates that I went to school with. Um, we all sort of catch up as much as we can. And when we lived in Perth, we used to sort of do do dinner and beers sort of every second Thursday. And um, yeah, so I probably talk to sort of most of my close friends every day. So I sort of saw a lot of the traits um, that that I sort of had 
in um, or that that he had sort of in me in, in a certain way, um, and I th- I think he just yeah he he certainly helped me a lot in that aspect about probably taught me a lot about loyalty and uh, and how important it was to to sort of um yeah to, to look after your friends and uh, and look after the, the people that you love. With his passing, you mentioned that the the planets had kind of aligned for you to. Mm move to the, the East Coast and to, to go to Brisbane. Um, we touched on it a little bit earlier. I guess the, the brief was to, to come over and, and sort of do things on, on this side of the country. How did you find that initially? I think it was about I needed a change. Like I feel like I was in Perth and I was um, – I'd sort of been there for five years and I wanted to sort of go and have another challenge and do something different and, and as you said, sort of judge had passed and – I remember chatting to Alan Black, who I called the basketball with, and he asked me who my favourite expert was, and um, and obviously judgy from a from a personal point of view, but professionally, I I don't think I've worked with a better expert than Alan Black. He just he was amazing, that, and he did the basketball with me, and from a, a Wildcats championship winning coach, and he just knew he knew every inflection, he knew when I was going to stop and take a breath, and when to jump in, and when to stop talking, and it was, none of this was taught. Like it was amazing how mm. he just was able to sort of pick it up and adapt with. Um, sort of the way that I was calling and I, we were lucky enough to do some away trips to New Zealand and Cairns and all different places to call the basketball and and I loved working with with Blackie uh, and I remember chatting to him when I was away in uh, in Illawarra and he was a guy that uh, got sacked from the Wildcats the first time, went and coached uh, Illawarra, then moved to Sydney so chose to sort of leave the, the small market team to, to go and coach the Kings and he spoke about how um, yeah, he regretted that move but then ended up back at the Wildcats eventually and th- just the different moves that someone like that in a professional sense would have made through different teams and and he put it to me in a way that made it, it doesn't have to be forever. Go, see what it's like. If you don't like it, <coughs> come back and, and continue on in Perth. You know what's happening here. Why don't you just go for a year and a half and um, and the best bit of advice that he gave me was just follow your gut, if whatever your gut feel is and and I wanted to go to Brisbane, and um, and I think in the end I sort of followed that through. But the challenge that it represented was probably more. There was a little bit of NRL, but it was more just everything was different. It was a different city. It was um, didn't have the the comforts of home. Didn't have uh, as much of a support network. My friendship circle. So I think all those things, as much as anything, were um, were the biggest challenge. It was. It sort of made me grow up a lot as a person, as much as a broadcaster. And then to make the trip to Sydney, some twelve months later, I guess a different challenge in itself you know, yeah. given the fact that the reason that you were sort of brought down here was to call more NRL um, obviously to ha- to be based here to be looking after Sydney Swans and, and GWS Giants from yeah. an AFL perspective but also to I guess harness those skills even more um, in a sport that well you're not completely unfamiliar with but from a calling sense what's yeah. that been like this year to, to take on a challenge like that? Yeah, uh, pretty daunting to be honest. It's been a it's been a much bigger workload than I've ever had previously. Even when I was in Brisbane, I might have called six games a year. Uh, did a couple of NRL games when I was in Perth. But you almost treat those like assignments where you 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 do as much work as you can in preparation and call the game, and then you forget about the NRL and you pick it up when you need to call next. Whereas this was following sort of the storylines week in week out because some weekends I'll be calling two games, other weekends I wouldn't be calling any. Uh, and while following the AFL sort of week to week as well, and and what was happening there, so um, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of extra work involved. I felt the pressure a little bit too, in the sense that um, you're obviously working in in a city where it, it is NRL heartland. Andrew Moore's part of the other team, who I think Andrew calls. Um, it was sort of put to me recently by one of our other broadcasters that sort of Andrew calls NRL. I think just as well as as anyone calls any sport, he's 
is an amazing um, broadcaster at how he does rugby league. And I thought, wow, this is going to sound very different when Andrew goes from calling a game and then all of a sudden the network comes and joins my game. And, uh, and if I'm not calling at a certain standard, that, that's going to have a knock-on effect for, for Andrew and his team and for the entire network. So um, I didn't obviously want the disparity to be too great or, or even greater than what it was already going to be between sort of um, crossing from one game to the other. So, um, And I was lucky enough that he was very... Uh, he was sort of very open to, to trying to give me as much feedback and as much advice as I can along the way. What is the main difference in calling AFL to NRL? Because not a lot of guys do it across yeah. the country. Quinton Hull does it in, in Brisbane for, for us. Brenton Speed does it on TV for Fox Sports. And that's pretty much just about it. So what are the main differences in calling AFL to, to, to NRL? Um, it's a very good question. The, the NRL... Uh, obviously moves in a grid a bit more, so you kind of it, it helps that the game's not 360 the same way that Aussie Rules is. So I think it's uh, I think it's an advantage for me that I've grown up calling Aussie Rules and then picked up Rugby League Secondary. I'm not sure how you would go calling Rugby League to start with and then happening to go the other way to call yeah. to call Aussie Rules Footy. Um, so I think that that's a that's so really I I knew the Aussie Rules stuff sort of inside out and then uh, so as far as picking up players and, and understanding where they were on the ground and. And so I guess it's just the nuances with the rugby league that caught me out all the time is every time there was a, a, a rule that might come up once every four weeks, obviously wouldn't have a background of that. Um, understanding the role of the forwards and why they're sort of why they're positioned where they are, why they protect the, the, the backline players that they do. Um, all those little things where I just sort of, that, that's completely foreign to me. Um, and just understanding that. The, the positions on the ground and uh, and I guess the jobs that they do was the the difficulty for me to try and um, pick up a little bit of the background where you sort of have to go right back and learn it from the start as much as you can the way through rather than sort of just pick it up mid level and uh, and and off you go. So I found that a little bit um, uh, a little bit challenging that it I didn't I never had a background with it where you ever played at any junior level so it was never sort of right. taught to me as on an introduction uh, sort of as an introduction basis. So um, I tried to sort of go back and, and just try to understand it as, as basic as I could and then, and then go from there. I guess one of the great advantages that you had is that you had somebody so experienced alongside you for the most part of the, the journey this year in, in John Gibbs, who not only uh, has he represented Australia and, and, and Manly, but also a guy that's been in radio for, for 30, 35 years. So to have that knowledge base alongside you, alongside the radio, um, I guess, expertise. And you know that one thing about Gibbsy, he's always going to be prepared. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. So what was that like, having somebody so experienced to call the games with you? Yeah, it was amazing. It reminded me a bit of Judgy, actually, in the sense that uh, in the the way that I um, worked with him and his background and his knowledge. And as you said, he knew not only... um, not only the game so well, but also knew the radio sense and the radio side of things. Uh, so he was he was fantastic, and just to be able to uh, he knew he knew what I knew and what I didn't. So sort of when I sort of would get caught out at different times, he'd be able to jump in and, and cover for me. And uh, I think our rapport only got better and better as the season went on, as you as you'd expect. Um, but it did help that every time that I went and called the footy, I was calling with the same guy. It's sort of so you got the chance to try and develop that team rather than calling with. I think even the times I was in Perth, you'd call with sort of different people at different stages and it's very hard to try and um, build that sort of that rapport with someone else without sort of working with them each week. Uh, so I think as I learnt more and more about the, the game, Gibbsy was able to adjust and sort of fit back into rather just the 
your standard sort of uh, colour commentator role rather than um, having to try and do little bits and pieces of my job as well to cover for me. It was also difficult in the sense that you had somebody else new on the sideline as well in Ruan Sims, obviously Gillaroo's captain. So what was that like for you to have somebody there offering that kind of opinion but was also new as well? So you kind of had to work together all as a, a, a new yeah combination and being our second Sydney team as such, knowing that the games are no less important, but you still had to do it. It kind of made me a little more comfortable in a way that because Ruan was new too, so she sort of walked in and wanted to assume straight away that she was the newbie as part of the team, and I thought, oh, well, I'll just sort of swing in as well as uh, as one of the uh, the new guys to uh, to sort of join our Sydney team. So it, it helped that we'd sort of all, uh, that two of us had come in fresh, and obviously Gibbsy had so much experience previously, but um, Ruan was... Uh, was tremendous right throughout the year and, and she obviously did stuff on Saturdays as, with part of our main team as well and um, as you said it, it was never with Gibbsy and Rowan there and having their background and knowledge of the game it was never a moment where it was it ever needed me to come in and, and give a strong opinion on anything so it was almost the, the perfect two to be to be linked with because it, it relied very little on me to, to sort of give any sort of editorial judgement on, on what was happening in the game and um, it allowed me so much just to focus on what I was doing and to call the action and try to describe where the ball was was and what was happening and uh, and all your analysis was provided by the, the two that I worked with. So I guess that's the, the thing as well. It's, it's like you mentioned before, AFL, there's a lot of stuff that happens off the ball, whereas if you can sort of centralise your focus towards where the ball is, you're always going to be okay in an NRL sense. It's just the, the yep. technicalities and the nuances of the game that are, might trip you up from time to time. Yeah, and just learning a whole bunch of new players. Like I'm sure next year I'll be better suited for that than I was this time around, but There'd be games this year where I'd call, uh, and even say the AFL world, where you'll you'll roll up and you'll call Carlton this week. And even if you haven't seen a lot of Carlton games, and it's round five, and um, there may be five or six new players that you haven't seen previously. I was going to NRL games, and if I was calling the Canberra Raiders, I might not have seen the Canberra Raiders game before. So I'm learning 17 new players or or 15 new players. There might be sort of only one or two guys that I recognise from Origin or for somewhere else. So um, there was a lot of homework and background that I'd have to do on that and watch the tapes during the week. And um, So I think in that sense, that'll sort of hold me in good stead, the fact that I've done it once before. And um, so the next time you go to the footy, there might be, say, only four players you don't know, and they're the guys that you can just focus on and the other blokes um, are sort of more from muscle memory that you, you recognise who they are and you know who plays for who and, and what they look like and, um, and different clues to pick them up as a broadcaster. Getting to experience State of Origin and the grand yep. final live as well, that must have been also great as part of your, your, your learning to, to be there on such um, big occasions for the, for, for the sport that you don't necessarily love but have got to yeah. uh, enjoy over, over the period of time you've been calling the sport. And they're, t- they're probably two of the moments this season, both of them that uh, you talked about earlier about the sort of pinch yourself moments and particularly where I didn't have a um, I didn't have a calling role sort of obviously for the main game and I was involved in, in interviews before and afterwards. So you were involved enough that you were still part of the team, but you also didn't have all the responsibility and the, the stress of actually getting the stuff right while the So game you could was enjoy going. the occasion. Hundred percent. So I got the opportunity to sort of sit sideline, enjoy the moment for what it was. Um, I think the first one was with Bobcat and the second one was with uh, with Dean Hallitower, who's just the nicest bike you'll ever bump into as you'll know, Ralphie. So um, that was that was a really awesome experience to be able to sit along those guys and taking yeah, my first origin in Sydney live and my first NRL grand final. I'm sitting on the sideline within five metres of the players. Um, 
that was something pretty special. I guess there's also a number of strings to your bow. We've sort of mentioned basketball a few times. Boxing's also a sport that you're very passionate about. Um, combining all of these sports and being able to call them and put them in the, the kit bag and being able to, to say that you can do that, that's obviously something that you're going to look to continue to work upon as you progress through your career? Yeah, I think so. We're, we're lucky here at the ABC where we do have the opportunity to call a lot of those sports, and the Olympics is obviously one thing that, uh, as a sports fan, I'm obviously very passionate about, I think, like a, like a lot of fans. And um, it's, the, it's obviously the, the pinnacle, really, of, of sport every, every four years when it swings around. Um, and so the, the last Olympics, I had the opportunity to, to call the basketball finals and uh, I did the BMX there for the first time, which, again, is a, a sport I never thought I'd end up calling BMX on radio, but um, just something that they, they sort of threw at me on the week and I had a couple of days to try and learn it and find a bit of background. And that's what's the exciting challenge, I think, of working here, where it's not just the same sort of sport week in, week out, or the same stuff. Um, you do get the odd challenge every now and then. I did a rugby union game at the start of the year. I've done Australian Open tennis. And so there's all these different codes that I've had the opportunity at different times to call. As you said about the basketball, when I was in Perth and Brisbane, I did a lot more of that, that, of that than what I'll probably do here in Sydney. Um, but I'm very lucky that I've, I've had so many different opportunities to call different stuff. We'll wrap it up in a sec. But before we go, I just want to um, get some advice from you Ooh. in terms of anyone looking to, to break into the industry. It's obviously become a whole lot more difficult in, in recent years with the sort of budget cuts and and, um, and things like that that are going on within, first of all, the media in general, but then also associated with sports broadcasting. So what would you say to somebody that's looking to pursue a career, uh, first of all in media and then in sport? Uh, ask a lot of questions. So you can't ask too many questions. Um, that was something I think that I did a lot and probably to the point that it probably drove Glenn and, and Clint mad in the early stage. Uh, but it, it is it is something that it will help you so much that yeah, if you just if you don't know something, just keep asking um, and listen. Make sure you you take on the feedback that you get uh, and then and then um, and go about sort of deciding where that sort of helps you from there. But um, if you can if you can sort of listen back to your own work, work out what's going wrong and then ask people for advice along the way, you'll be surprised how many people in the industry are actually willing to help you. Um, I, can't, I can't remember bumping into too many people and them saying, or if, if any, in the industry and said, no, no, I'm, I'm not interested in listening to your work. I'm not interested in helping you. Uh, and it's, it's amazing how many sort of young kids nowadays that it's, it's not really part of their kit bag where they don't want to go and ask too many people for advice and sort of plug away and then can't work out why they're getting opportunities. Um, you'd be surprised if you sort of just reach out to someone how many people are, are willing to sort of uh, offer you a little bit of advice along the way. Corbett Middlemass, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Ralphie. Anytime. There he is, Corbin Middlemass from ABC Grandstand. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Corbin, please let him know by sending him a tweet. He's at Corbin Middlemass. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.